are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good Monday show for you. We're going to go over the happenings yesterday in London, England. Wimbledon happened, and a streak comes to an end. I've got some baseball stats for you, some NFL stats for you regarding Patrick Mahomes, which are pretty ridiculous. And we're going to get to some other things, hopefully. And we'll get to all that momentarily. All right, let's start yesterday at the All England Club in London, England for Wimbledon 2023. The four time reigning champion, Novak Djokovic, falls to Carlos Alcaraz, the number one player in the world, in a great match. It wasn't a classic. I wouldn't say that. Some great points, some great plays, uh, some highlight shots, but I wouldn't call it a classic. Very good. I mean, Jokovic comes out 6-1 and just blasts Alcaraz all over the court. And you're like, Jesus Christ. Is it going to be this easy for him to win his fifth in a row? Just remember, he won in 2018, 2019. There was no tournament in 2020 because of COVID. And then won in 21 and 22. He has not lost in Wimbledon since 2017. He had 46 consecutive wins on center court. The last time he lost on center court was 10 years ago in 2013. The last time he lost at Wimbledon, 3,666 days ago on center court. But Carlos Alcaraz was up to the challenge yesterday, especially winning that, getting blown out of that first set 6-1. You're like, oh boy, can this kid even hang? They've only played twice. They were one and one against each other. So you couldn't really get, it was a really small sample size. You couldn't really make out a whole hell of a lot of what was going to happen in this match. They were only one and one, but Alcaraz playing really well. Jokovic dominating his competition at Wimbledon so far. And you're watching it in the first set. I watched the whole match yesterday. First set, Jokovic comes out and dominates. And then you're like, okay. Alcaraz gets back on track, wins the second set, 7-6. I want to say the turning point was in set three because, remember, it was one of the more incredible games you'll ever witness. Alcaraz is up 3-1. to one. He's up three games to one. He's already broken Jokovic. Jokovic is serving for 3-2. And the game goes... 27 minutes, it had 13 deuces and 32 points total. I've never seen anything like that. This is Novak Djokovic, the four-time defending Wimbledon champion who literally had eight game points and could not put Alcaraz away. Alcaraz had six match points or break points, and he couldn't put Djokovic away, but he finally did on the seventh. So he goes up 4-1, and then Djokovic basically just sat out the last two games of that set to save some energy because then you're like, oh, wow. The first set itself took 34 minutes. One game in set three took 27 minutes with 13 deuces. It was crazy. Alcaraz breaks him for a second time in the third set. He goes up 4-1, wins the third set 6-1, and you're like, okay, he's got all the momentum in the world. He's going to roll. And then Jokovic comes back and wins the fourth set, 6-3. So it's like, okay, well, that 27-minute uh, fifth game in the third set didn't bother him. He just came back and won 
the fourth set. So we're going to a fifth set, and Alcaraz immediately breaks Djokovic, and then they basically hold serve. Uh, they do hold serve for the rest of the match, and Alcaraz wins the fifth set 6-4. So I think you'd call it a classic if it went to a tiebreaker in the fifth set because then you've got – and, you know, just the dichotomy of these two, these two guys – a 36-year-old four-time defending champion that's won Wimbledon seven times, going for a record-tying eighth Wimbledon championship against the young upstart who's the number one player in the world. This kid is going to be the future of tennis, barring a major injury. He is the one. He's 20 years old. He won the U.S. Open last year at, I think he was still 19. So now he's 20. He now has two majors under his belt, he's going to win double digits in his career. I mean, watch the kid play. But it was just awesome watching the old vet, the 36-year-old vet, Novak Djokovic, going up against a kid 20 years old. As Alcaraz said in the post-match interview, Djokovic was winning tournaments when Alcaraz was born. Like, this is crazy. And you watch Novak play and you watch him and you're just like, this is unreal, and it might only be – I don't want to say that, oh, my gosh, well, he's he's on the downside of his career now. No, he's not. Joker basically destroys everybody outside of Alcaraz, you know? He's going to get – I mean, I, I fully expect Jokovic. I mean, I could see a final. I could see a Jokovic-Alcaraz U.S. Open final, but – just to see a 36-year-old going up against a 20-year-old and it go to five sets and it be 6-4 in the final set just shows you Jokovic is he's not anywhere close to the downside of his career. It just might be that Alcaraz becomes his kryptonite because Alcaraz can return basically anything that Joker throws at him. And that's the biggest thing with Alcaraz is he gets to everything. Holy shit. This kid doesn't, I don't even know. I, there are some things that I was watching. I don't even know how he got to these. No idea. But he did. And he wins. And it was a, it was a really good match. Like I said, you got to give him all the credit in the world. Jokovic was very gracious in defeat, gave all the credit to him. You could tell the wind bothered Jokovic a little bit. You could tell that there are times where he got very frustrated by the fact that he thought he had some winners and Alcaraz would get to him. And, you know, all you can do at that point is, you know, pay your respects and just be like, great shot. So I'm wondering going forward, if you have a Jokovic, anybody else in the final in Wimbledon, he wins. But Alcaraz was up to the task, especially after falling behind 6-1. A 20-year-old that gets blasted in the first set of the Wimbledon finals against the four-time defending champion, that kind of shows you this guy's medal. That kind of shows you... This guy's mental fortitude to get blasted like that 6-1 and then come back and win three of the next four sets. I mean, just just an unbelievable match. Took four and a half hours. I watched every minute of it. I think I dozed off for like five minutes in my recliner. But I could watch those two play all day. I And, you know, I know people have their opinions about Joker. And, you know, I don't agree with his, you know, stance on the vaccine when that was all going on. Uh, I thought it was idiotic for him to do that, but it's his choice. I, I don't agree with it, and I thought he was just—I I thought he was a little arrogant about the whole thing. But as I can separate his stance on the vaccine 
versus how he plays tennis. The guy's unbelievable. He's won 23 majors. He's won Wimbledon seven times. Only one other person's won more, Federer, who's won eight. And he's won the Australian ten times. He's won the U.S. Open three times. And he's won the French three times. He is the greatest player of our generation. Probably going to go down as the greatest ever. I still think he's got probably three to five more majors in him. Assuming he can maybe avoid Alcaraz. I'm not saying he can't beat Alcaraz. But it's going to be tough. I mean, everybody he plays in any final is going to be younger than him. But Alcaraz being 20-year-old and can get to every single ball, I just and, – and Joker still had a chance to win. I mean, what more can he ask for going to a fifth set? He got broken to start the fifth set, and that was it. They held serve, both of them, the rest of the way, and that was game. So all the credit in the world to Carlos Alcaraz. This kid is a stud. You'll be watching him for the next 10 to 15 years, barring an injury. And I just don't think Joker's done. I, I just don't think everyone throwing dirt on him, saying, oh, this is it. You know, he's on the downside of his career. I mean, sure, he doesn't have 10 years left of playing tennis. But he can still kill everybody. He does. He beats everybody every tournament. He had won the first two majors of the year. Won the Australian and won the French. Nobody was saying after he won the French, oh, boy, he's on the downside. He's looking slow. I mean... Injuries are probably the only thing that's going to derail him, but when I watch Joker play, it's it's unreal because at some point we know he's going to start losing to guys that are ranked like 79th in the world. It's just going to happen. Father Time is going to catch up with him. You can't play tennis at an elite level against these guys that are 10 to 15 years younger than you and, and win majors. We are probably at a point in his career right now where – Joker is going to be the fan favorite, and people are going to want to see him win because he's the old guy out there on the court playing against these young guys 15 years younger than him. So I can't wait. I, I love watching him play. Uh, you know, I understand people don't care for his personality. Whatever. I can separate the two. He's a great player. He's a great champion. I think he showed it yesterday in his speech after the match. All the credit in the world to Alcaraz. I can't wait. I want to see a rematch in the U.S. Open final. Let's hope we get it. All right, time to talk more about the Atlanta Braves and their dominance this season, although they did lose two of three out of the All-Star break to the uh, the Chicago White Sox. But some things to mull over at the All-Star break is the Braves have hit 169 home runs. It's the most home runs by any team in the history of baseball at the All-Star break. The Minnesota Twins from 2019 had 166. That twin squad finished the season with 307, which was and is – a major league record. The Braves are on pace for 308. So let's see if they can get there. Also, Ronald Acuna, I told you, being the fact that he had 20 home runs, 40 stolen bases, and 50 RBIs at the All-Star break had never happened before, he reached the 20 home run, 40 stolen base mark in 84 games. That's the fastest anyone's ever done that in major league history. Ricky Henderson was the last one to do it that close, and that was in 1990. It took him 90 games to do that. The other thing is, the all-around juggernaut that they are, they're first in the league in ERA. And only five teams in the history of baseball finished number one in OPS and number one in ERA, and one of them was the 27 Yankees, the team that Babe Ruth hit 60 home runs for. Three of those five teams went on to win the World Series. So, 
the Braves are right there. We know they're making the playoffs, and they've got a great pitching staff. They've got an offense that is setting records left and right. But as we say every year, baseball's a little bit different. All it takes is you to lose four out of seven games or three out of five. It's very possible. But the Braves looking good so far. These numbers are just, I mean, they're historical. And there are only seven wins off of the 116-win pace set by the 2001 Mariners. I mean, they're going to win probably 108, 110, probably more. We'll see. But Braves dominant this year so far. Here's a baseball stat for you that's just kooky. And you start to think there has to be some cosmic involvement in this, right? So a very big power hitter from the 80s and 90s, Cecil Fielder, played for the Tigers. You know him. Has a son, Prince Fielder, played for the Tigers as well, played for the Texas Rangers. But here's how they are similar in their statistics for their career. Both Cecil and Prince had 319 home runs for their career. They both had 97 two-out home runs. They both had 49 fourth-inning home runs. They both had 29 fifth-inning home runs. And both had 18 ninth-inning home runs. Also, they had exactly 40% of their hits go for extra bases. Both of them. That's just weird. Like, I mean, to land on the exact number that many times, 319, 97, 49, 29, 18, and have exactly 40% of your hits go for extra bases, that's just probably never going to see that again. You don't get too many father-son duos in Major League Baseball to begin with. And then for them to have a career like that, nuts. Absolutely nuts. I didn't know if you knew this, and this, and this is just another a quirky baseball stat that I want to give you. Tim Anderson of the Chicago White Sox was an all-star last year. For the last four years, he has basically, well, he has, hit over 300. In 2019, he hit 335. In 2020, shortened season, but he hit 322. In 2021, he hit 309. In 2022, he hit 301 last year. He's, he's got some pop. Home runs, 17, 20, 18, 10, 17. So it's not like this guy can't hit a home run. Well, except for he hasn't hit one in a full calendar year. Tim Anderson this year is hitting 227, and he has zero home runs and 13 RBIs. What happened to this guy? He was one of the best young shortstops in all of baseball. He has not hit one home run in a calendar year. This past weekend just passed one year, the last time he hit a home run. And he's played. He was hurt a little bit, but it's not like I'm not saying like where I have a sample size of 15 games. Not one home run in a calendar year by a guy who was literally an all-star two years ago. Just crazy. I don't know what happened to him. Probably one of the reasons why the White Sox haven't been any good this year. Because he was top three young shortstop in the American League. 
And now the guy can't get out of his own way. Poor guy. And finally, I don't know how many of you were able to get caught up, maybe watch a few episodes of Quarterback, or maybe watch the whole thing, binge the whole thing, all eight episodes on Netflix, covering Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, and Marcus Mariota last season in the NFL. Such a good show. I'm, I'm still only two episodes in. I watched episode two this past weekend. And it's just, it's really cool to watch these guys. Because, you know, I, I guarantee you, most of you don't follow Marcus Mariota. And don't really, I don't know, care. He's kind of been a journeyman. He did win the Heisman at Oregon. But then he hasn't really been a superstar in the NFL. I haven't even gotten to the end of this season of quarterback where we know that he loses his job to Desmond Ritter, and in the offseason, he got traded. He's on the Eagles now. He's Jalen Hurts' backup, so he's probably not going to really be a starter again in the NFL. But they'll use him in some packages just like the Raiders did. However, just watching, it's like you can't even root against these guys. I want every one of you to watch, anyone that's listening right now, watch Netflix and watch quarterback. Watch all eight episodes and tell me that when you see Patrick Mahomes or Kirk Cousins or Marcus Mariota play, that you're going to be like rooting against them. Outside of the whole, hey, if you're like a Charger fan or a Raider fan or a Bills fan, I don't think you're going to cheer for Patrick Mahomes, but you got to respect him because this show isn't just like, oh, look at how great they are. I mean, it shows them working out. It shows them in their home life. I'm sure it's going to show the struggles that Mariota went through at the end of last year when he lost his job. But just watching these guys, it's so cool to get that behind the scenes. And th- and this is what Netflix does. You know, this is basically the football version of Drive to Survive, which I still haven't watched. But, you know, the behind the scenes of F1 racing and then the golf one that they just did. I keep I keep forgetting the title of that one. But where they go behind the scenes and they followed a bunch of golfers on the PGA Tour last year. Brooks Kepka, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, you know, and just you get to see things that you normally would not see. Yes, you get the mic'd up stuff during games, which I think is really cool. Sideline stuff, in the huddle. I mean, really, really good stuff. Locker room stuff. I mean, that's all the stuff that fans want to see. But I just think it's so cool to watch a show like this. Anyway. We've talked ad nauseum about Patrick Mahomes and the ridiculousness that his career has started out as. If In case you don't remember from all my podcasts back in January, Patrick Mahomes has been a starter in the NFL for the Chiefs for five years. He's been in the league six. Remember that first year he played behind Alex Smith and he started one game, the last game of the season when um, they had benched all their starters. So Patrick Mahomes, five-year starter for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's been to the AFC Championship game every year. (laughs) He's been to three Super Bowls, won two of them, lost one, and then lost two AFC Championships. He's never played a playoff road game. It's still one of the more amazing stats I've ever heard to start a season. Start a a career, sorry. Patrick Mahomes has yet to play a playoff road game. Every playoff game, not, not counting the Super Bowl talking about divisional matchups and AFC championships. Every single one of them has been at home. It's it's just, it's crazy. And he's been in the AFC championship every year. He's been a starter five years in a row now. Last year, 
It would have been in Buffalo if the Buffalo Bills would have beaten the Bengals, but the Bengals pasted them 27-10 in the divisional round, and that put Kansas City as home field advantage. So, because they had a better record than Cincinnati. Remember, Buffalo was going to be awarded home field advantage if they would have had, if they would have finished, uh, and they would have won because of the whole DeMar Hamlin thing. Because Buffalo beat Kansas City during the year, but played one less game. So based on what they figured out, they just said, if Buffalo gets to the AFC Championship game against Cincinnati or Kansas City, they're hosting it. Kansas City hosted it if, if they're playing Cincinnati, which is what ended up happening, but not if they were playing Buffalo. So it's just it's an unbelievable start to his career. And you wonder, not that Patrick Mahomes can't win a road game, but you just wonder how different it'll be when he does have to go on the road in the playoffs. But I was looking at these statistics. I think we can all agree Troy Aikman was a really good NFL quarterback. Guy won three Super Bowls in four years and did it at a time where, yeah, the league was a lot different. The running game was way more important than it is now. But look at these statistics of Troy Aikman's playoff career versus Patrick Mahomes' playoff career. Troy Aikman in his career, career playoffs, 11-5. and five. Played 12 years in the NFL. He was 11-5 and five in the playoffs. Threw for 3,800 yards, 24 touchdowns, and 17 interceptions. 63% completion percentage in three Super Bowls. Patrick Mahomes in his playoff career, 11-3. and three. Remember, Patrick Mahomes' playoff career is only five years long. He's 11-3 and three in his career in the playoffs. He has more passing yards already in five years than Troy Aikman did in his playoff career. He had 3,800. Patrick Mahomes is at 4,084. In five years in the playoffs, Patrick Mahomes has thrown 40 touchdowns and seven interceptions. Aikman was 24 touchdowns, 17 interceptions in his playoff career. Mahomes had a 67% completion percentage, Aikman 63, and we know that Mahomes has two Super Bowl rings and Aikman has three. So the only thing Aikman has him on is rings, and I think it would be crazy to think that Patrick Mahomes won't win another ring the rest of his career. Probably going out on a limb there, I know. (laughs) But he's probably going to win a Super Bowl or two or three or four before he gets out of the league. It's just, I, I, I can't believe the start to his career. How good he is, how good his team is. Remember when Tyreek Hill got traded in the offseason last year? And everybody said, oh, he's got no weapons. Yeah, then he just went out and won another Super Bowl without Tyreek Hill. And his tight end is his best pass catcher. I mean, I, what else do you want from the guy? It's unreal. Love watching him play, and trust me, yeah, his family might be annoying. <laughs> I, I have no problem with his wife. His brother's the one that everyone just gets annoyed by. But go watch Quarterback on Netflix. I guarantee if you're a sports fan, you will not be disappointed. Trust me. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please follow on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review as well. I hope everyone had a great weekend. Pass this Sports Daily along to your friends. Let them know all about it because I love doing it. And we're going to keep doing it until the end of time. Well, 
Maybe not the end of time, but for a long time. Anyway, thank you all for listening. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you. Oh, no, no, no.